Good morning, Sarepta. I'm uh, speaking to you today from Cape Town to you in KZN, the scene of so much uh, upheaval, destruction, um, violence, uh, and loss over the last uh, week and a half. And um, our hearts go out to you. I, I'm uh, a little more encouraged today than I would have been uh, three days ago. Uh, just seeing something of the response in so many hearts to the um, to the to what has been left with regard to the the aftermath of what has been happening to you. There is fear still today in many hearts, but there have also been some incredible responses, people responding with mercy ministry, cleanups. Uh, there's, there's been a demonstration by ordinary South Africans of great resilience, a spirit of Ubuntu. And uh, let me give you just an example of one that comes from a lady called Tammy Lutz in Durban, who says, where there is darkness, there is always light. And by God's grace, the light is shining bright today. Ubuntu is alive and well and thriving. The community cleanups are incredible and the rebuilding has already begun. Only now the foundations of our building are stronger. They are being built on love, love for one another, love for this beloved country and love for our incredible people. We are rising. This and many others like it are things that give one hope and engender pride in our nation, in our people, in our the qualities of our basic goodwill. So these are things that drew me as I considered um, you and your circumstances. And with a view to connecting this with what I shared with you about a year ago called Pitch Your Tent in a Land Called Hope, I wanted to speak to you today about hope in the wilderness. And I was drawn to a particular text as I was praying about this um, over a week ago. The text from Hosea chapter 2 verses 14 to 15 that says, Now therefore I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor into a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Of course, the valley of Accor is a place that was uh, uh, known, it's a, it's a place name that uh, became, uh, got that name from when a man called Achan uh, was when Israel was in the wilderness, was um, uh, guilty of, uh, of, of keeping idols in his tent and causing uh, judgment to come on the entire nation. And, um, and so they called it Akkor, and it is named a number of times over throughout the Old Testament. Um, but, and, the, and the word means judgment. It also means tribulation or trouble. Uh, it means desolation or destruction. And so I think it is pertinent to what we are experiencing in our country. Um, and so I wanted us to just consider 
what is the background to what is happening? How should we view this? What should we do? How should we pray? And particularly focusing on our country and its leaders right now. I, I see some principles uh, that come out of the understanding of the wilderness itself. And um, I will try to distill those in these few minutes that we have together. The first principle is that we should abandon the false hope that this world is our destiny. We need to understand that neither Egypt, using the picture of Israel coming out, neither Egypt nor the wilderness is our home. That the valley of Accor is at best a doorway to hope. At worst, it is a statement of the destruction that happens because people are subject to the principle of sin and rebellion and idolatry. Uh, to know that um, it is not our calling that we are here to fix this world, but to call those in it to a different world. The, the picture that is, that is the background of the text that I read is the one of of uh, Hosea's wife, an adulterous woman, uh, a prostitute, who kept on going back to her ways as a prostitute. And each time the Lord would say, go and buy her back and bring her back and, and restore her. Because that's what I keep doing for Israel. Over and over I have to go and fetch her back from judgment. But in, on this occasion he says, first I want to let her experience the pain of what her sin is causing. Um, and so there is a model there for us. There is a way of understanding what we are experiencing in this country. The way we should read the Bible is not from a position where we have power and privilege, but rather from the position of weakness and wilderness. From that perspective, what is the wilderness uh, in terms of metaphorically in the, in the scripture? It is a place of transit, of testing, of learning to live in total dependence on God as we're on our way to a promised land. It is the place where we live as pilgrims on a journey, not settlers with permanent ownership. When God speaks of his people and makes promises to a nation, the context in the Old Testament at least is, goes from uh, slavery to wilderness wandering, to division, to strife, to exile, and finally to being a nation under foreign occupation. Out of a 4,000 or 5,000 year story, only about 200 years of it describe a settled nation under good leadership with prosperity and peace. So when we feel as though we're really not at home in this world, we're in pretty good company. When the prophets do speak of a peaceful kingdom, a settled city, prosperous nation, uh, without strife or warfare, poverty or instability, they're pointing to a time when the kingdom of God would be consummated, when a ruler will rule, when a king would come and the, and the spirit would be poured out upon us from on high, when heaven would be set up on earth. And as the prophets used to uh, said in many places and many times, they were all looking forward to this kingdom where he would create, God would create new heavens and a new earth, Isaiah 65, where he would create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Uh, 
uh, when the wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust would be the serpent's food. They would neither harm nor destroy on God's holy mountain. And so a time that we look forward to, a time that we're headed towards, a moment in our lives when heaven will become a reality on the earth. The second principle of finding hope in the wilderness is this, that you need to enter it before you can see or understand it. It reminds me a little bit of Jesus' words to Nicodemus, where he speaks about the new birth and he says, until you're born again or born from above, you cannot see it and you cannot enter it. And I think you have to enter it, in fact, before you can see it. The nation of Israel, uh, as God creates her, is, is created as a testimony, as a prophecy, a beacon, a launching pad for God's plan and purpose in the Messiah. In the process of that formation, some very specific promises are made of Yahweh's protection and provision of the nation, for the nation. He also gives them rules for how to live in peace and harmony. And in this way, Israel is to be that light to the nations that he called her to be. So many of the promises are conditional on obedience to the rules. And the, and the benefits come to the nation and the and the judgments come on the nation because it is as a nation that God uh, creates them and then covenants with them. We need to recognize that every covenant has a scope. It has targeted beneficiaries. It has benefits. It has obligations. It has a context. Um, and if a covenant doesn't have your name on it, you're not bound by its rules and you're also not entitled to its provisions. And so... Very simply, I feel it's really important for us to say South Africa is not Israel. It doesn't, as a nation, belong to Jesus. No matter how many times you declare it, it just declaring it doesn't make it so. Uh, unless God has said it, it is not so. Achor, which as I said means trouble or suffering, has its new covenant counterpart. It is a place called Golgotha. It is the place of suffering and death, which became a doorway of hope. Hope for a new life, a new creation, and ultimately a new society. But it is only through Jesus and the cross that we can enter in and find pasture. So as we come to the new covenant from the old, the focus moves from national to personal, from a people who are called by Yahweh's name to Whosoever believes in me, to those who received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Paul puts it this way when he speaks in Romans chapter 4, 22 and right through to chapter 5, verse 5. He's speaking about Abraham and says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast 
in the hope of the glory of God. There's that word again. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Listen to this. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The way I memorized it as a young believer was in the King James Version, and it said it like this, Tribulation worketh patience. And I remember at a certain point in my life, I said, remind me to never pray for patience because tribulation worketh patience. And so I, I resolved to never ask the Lord to give me patience because I knew what the factory was that produces that patience or endurance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And then he says these beautiful words and hope does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The implication here is when we hope in the things that God wants us to hope for, uh, he, he confirms it by pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have an experience of that reality of God's love and God's and, and, uh, and God's peace as a result of believing him in the way that he wants us to believe him. A few pages after this, Paul concludes his message with this anthem of hope when he writes in chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. There's Jesus again. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope therefore fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It seems like Paul definitely has a thing about hope going on here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. May you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says. And, and so over and over he, he speaks about the word hope and that it is our legacy it is our inheritance he says this you receive hope not from what's growing in the wilderness you receive it not from your surroundings and from other people and from belonging in a particular place but as you place your hope in the person and work of Christ who entered our wilderness and thereby opened a doorway of hope in the valley of Accor you receive it from the work of Christ. You receive hope from the God who introduces himself. He comes to you and he says, how do you do? I am the God of hope. And so would you like some? You receive hope from the fact that when God indwells us, he brings hope with him. He saturates our hearts with hope. And then as a result, you can overflow with hope to others by the power of the Spirit. It seems like the very essence of our witness unto Christ as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, is hope. In other words, that brings us to the third principle, which is this. In order to live in hope, you need to be a purveyor of hope. You are a person who exudes, who lives out, who announces, who boasts in your hope. And you do this, firstly, by prayer. So in Ephesians, Paul tells us to pray. He says, after he has spoken about the armor of God, he says, I want you, after you've done everything, to stand. And then he tells us how. By praying in the Spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, he says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And that reminded me of what he says in 1 Timothy, where he, he says, I urge then, first of all, as a first priority, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. Uh, the way, in other words, that we give away hope is to pray for people that they may receive it, that they may receive the enlightenment and the faith that leads to hope. We don't pray for the place. We don't pray for the land. We don't even pray for the people as a whole. What we pray for is individuals um, that, under, that they may understand that their hope is found in encountering Jesus, the root of Jesse. South Africa is not our home, although we seek its good. But that doesn't happen by presumptive praying, by this kind of magic wand prayer that goes, we proclaim or we declare that South Africa will be at peace, that anarchy would end, uh, that COVID would uh, come to an end, that healing would come to all, that all the hospitals would be emptied, uh, that we will have money in the bank and lower golf handicaps. That's not faith. That's presumption. Faith is something that comes not from our desires or our expectations or our kind of uh, definition of what our best life would be. Faith comes by hearing what Jesus has to say about it. And so right now, where you are in your situation with the devastation and the trauma that you've been through, Receive the word that brings faith so that you may have grace in which to stand and then boast and boldly declare your hope to all people. They don't get to share that hope until they go through the same doorway through which you went. And so to bring peace and hope of healing so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We are also called specifically to pray for kings or presidents and all those in authority. And so I leave you with this. Pray for our president. Pray according to God's word and will for our president and for those around him in authority. We should pray with compassion for him. We should pray consistently for him. We should pray according to what the book of Proverbs says uh, where, where, where Solomon tells us some things about a good king or a good ruler. And uh, I'll just give them to you in summary to close this. First of all, that he may have a strong moral compass because it is through righteousness that his throne is established. Second of all, that he may have wisdom and discernment. Uh, by me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees, says Wisdom in chapter 8 of Proverbs. That thirdly, that he may have a fearless, strong sense of justice. Uh, where it says in chapter 29, by justice a king gives a country stability. But those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. That reminds us of someone, doesn't it? Uh, that thirdly, that fourthly rather, he may be surrounded by good leaders around him. That uh, because it says in chapter 29, 12, if a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. That finally he may have a servant heart 
and a love for his people. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe, says Solomon. Through love, his throne is made secure. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established forever. And so we pray for President Ramaphosa that God will give him all of these things and that God's favor, that God's joy, that God's grace may be upon him. And so keep the end goal in mind as you pray for not only our president and other rulers in the country, but for all people, as Paul encourages us to do, that God wants uh, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come back to that one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people so that the valley of Accor, once again, has become the doorway of hope. God bless you, Sarepta. Take time now to pray for our nation, to pray for our president, to pray not prayers of, of presumptuous declaration, but to pray prayers of compassionate identification so that we may see South Africa uh, as a place where God moves again through the prayers, through the witness of a godly people. God bless you.